this retro thing for what it is Nostalgia goggles heavy on those things when we were kids I've got the memories of falling while my hair is turning gray I'm digging back on all the things that were better yesterday So for all those things nostalgic I also do is delight What time is it? 12.05. Okay. 12.05 PM? Uh, Yes. Uh, Then we should probably wait. Until dark? Yep. (laughs) Well done. I didn't know if I should be like, it's time to talk about wait until dark, or I should have just, I went the wrong way, did I? No, you went the exact right way. That's what I wanted. I good. thought that's what you were going to do, but you you connected and that's just good improv is what there that was, was no connecting. There was pure panic and and then my brain broke and that's what came out. <laughs> I feel like that's 90 percent of improv as well, though, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we did wait until dark, which has actually been in the works for a bit. Uh, this was a, a Patreon request. One of our no Patreon way. subscribers hit the amount that they need to hit. To, to ask for an episode so a really long time ago i was like what episode do you want and they said wait until dark and i went great we'll do it in october and it's march now but we are doing it so thank you patreon subscriber for listening and and for picking a very good movie because holy shit this is probably even after watching it i know i'm giving it all the way but it remains i think in the top 10 movies of all time for me oh wow I, knew I that love was, this movie. It's so good. I mean, okay, I guess that kind of gives your history with it. Yep. <laughs> I, man, like we, the biggest compliment I can always pay a movie is if we can knock it out in one night. Because usually my wife and I, well, actually the first biggest compliment is she agrees to watch the movie. And then the second is if the credits roll and it's the same day. And that's not usually a knock against the movie. It's just, you know, we're starting the movie at 830. We're tired. We have to keep pausing because the kids come down because the she won't share the blocks with me. And we'll be like, it's fucking 830 at night. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Go to sleep. What are you talking about? Why do you have blocks? And, you know, nicer than that, but. Internally, internally. Yeah. it's like we're trying to dodge your headbirds in a bad situation and I can't talk about blocks right now. So we knocked this out in one one go, one night, and it's it's like an hour 50. So that's pretty good. Like usually and we're trying to get to bed by 10. So if we started this at 8:30, we chose, you know, we chose not sleep. Mm-hmm. I do like how it's an hour and 50 minutes or around there. And yet you live for the last eight minutes of the movie. Where the theater will lower the <laughs> the lighting to the legal limit, which is funny that there's a legal limit to how funny, uh, funny, how dark a theater can be. In the 1960s. Well, it's true. Like I, like if you go to a Cineplex, they never fully shut off the lights. It's true. Which PSA is someone who's been going to the movies a lot this year show up on time and if you don't we went to go see creed three and 
we're like, oh, small crowd, but 20 or so people in smaller group, the small groups kept coming in one after the next. And there was one group that sat right behind us. So they had like their flashlight phones on and the like, this isn't trailers. The movie is playing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, which one? 15, which one? We're 15 through 17. So that's 13. That's a different number. So let's not sit in that seat because that's not one of the numbers I just said. It's like, oh my God, just sit the fuck down. Like the movie started, sit fucking anywhere. It doesn't don't, matter. Don't the lights glow in? They do, but the it's probably, it, yeah, they do. I don't know. As someone who strives to be to the movies on time, mm-hmm. I have never encountered this problem. So I can't say for sure if you need a flashlight, but like, Shit has a starting time. Movies aren't like we're gonna fire it up between eight and nine. Get there. I don't know if it's like, oh, we don't need to see the trailers. Like, okay. I think people but- give themselves the least amount of time to get there because I've noticed this too. And then they stand for ages in the one popcorn line as like five different movies are starting and people are trying to get food. Like nobody thinks through that going to the cinema is a process. You have to have a schedule. Yep. You have to plan it out. Especially and, now, because Kim, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you knew this, but movies are back. They are, yeah. Like, like m- movies are making <laughs> bank again. There was even last year, you're like, oh yeah, Top Gun did super well and this did super well, but oh, I don't know. Like, movies are making money again. Fucking, I'm cursing a lot this episode. 80 for Brady, Kim. I didn't get to see it in the cinema. I'm so sad about it. It's still there because it makes like $40 million. See, I always look at the Cineplex at Lansdowne and they just like wipe out movies every week. So you got to go. I guess that's true. Um, But it's not. So it's playing elsewhere? Well, it's playing at the one near me without disclosing my location. But that one has a lot of screens so they can afford to to hang on to it. I'm going. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not. So have fun. (laughs) But... (laughs) You can also watch it at home right now if that's what you want to do. But we're not here to promote that. I'd movies rather be are, in a cinema. Because movies are back. Mm. Wait Until Dark is though the one we watched today. Uh, it's not so much back because it never left. 1967. Based on a play. And even if I hadn't seen that in the opening credits, I feel like about a half hour in, I would have went, I bet this is based on a play. <laughs> Because it's 90% contained to one apartment and there's a core cast of about five people, mostly two. And I love it. Yeah. It, it's not often that you could take a play and have it translate so well to cinema, but this works. I don't know what they do. Actually, I do know what they do because my introduction to the movie, I used to be obsessed on Saturday nights. TVO would play um, like old, old movies. So that's how I got introduced to all of these old movies. And one was for Wait Until Dark. And they tell you that the movie is shit if there's no score in it. It's the score that brings the creepiness. And so they they play that like iconic scene where Alan Arkin jumps out at Audrey that, Hepburn. That got my wife so good. <laughs> I'm happy I was watching this, like, things you should know about the movie before watching it. Because it would have, this was, like, my first real scary movie that I sat home alone to watch. And so it was creeping me out. But I had seen that, so I knew it was coming. But they play it without the sound. And then they play it with the sound. And it is, like, I don't know. It's so, so different. And it's something I would never think about. 
Yeah, I read. I'm gonna see if I can pull it up. I read something about how they did the score to make it a little more unsettling, and it involved like the way they were playing the instruments mm. didn't quite sync up, so it made it. It does sound like a bit like the the opening score with the credits. It sounds like a soap opera, like Days of Our. I don't know what soap operas are. It's Days of Our Lives. I think a soap Days opera. of Our Lives is still <laughs> okay. one of them. It certainly was. But it does like that piano, like bum 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 bum. Like it kind of sounds like that, and so I couldn't stop giggling when I was watching it this time around. <laughs> I was incredibly excited because the opening few minutes of this movie takes place in Canada. With Air Canada, we're in Montreal, we're getting French. Yes. (laughs) Oh, here we go. In order to create a sense of unease, the film's composer, Henry Mancini, oh shit, uh, had his two pianists playing instruments tuned a quarter tune apart. So I don't know anything about music, but there you go. It was effective. (laughs) It was very good. Yeah, we kick (laughs) off in, in Canada, actually getting to be Canada because boy, a lot of movies film here and then say, oh, no, it's it's New York. Welcome to Scream 6. This isn't Montreal at all. This is absolutely New York City. What are you talking about? <laughs> Don't be weird. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe they didn't film it in Canada, but boy, it sure was nice to just see. It does look they, like Montreal, though. Yeah, they it did. A... And they had Air Canada stuff. I doubt they built a set. So Yeah, and they had a lot of snow. I mean, the whole movie is, if you go to Canada, you're going to get drugs there. So it probably, like... Yeah. Influence some people not to go to Canada. <laughs> I don't know. I think it got our, our tourism up a lot because people were probably <laughs> just like, I hear there's two things, eh? Ketchup, chips, and cocaine. What do you need? <laughs> Both. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent impression of a Canadian. <laughs> Here's your complimentary hockey stick. <laughs> see ya. See you next season there, eh? One of my, and I hate that I laugh at this joke, it's in um, Grown Ups 2, and it's Maya Rudolph and a bunch of other women in the movie, and they're lined up, and they're looking at this beautiful, sexy man come out of a pool, and then it turns out he's from Saskatoon, and his accent gets me all the time. He's just like, I am from Saskatoon. I've actually like... seen that movie, but I don't remember <laughs> that part. It's just, it's, I don't can people doing Canadian accents makes me laugh a lot. <laughs> So thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I guess let's set up the premise, but it's very, very Kim. Set us, set us up. What's the the, the high level, very good concept for Wait Until Dark? So Audrey Hepburn is a blind woman uh, who's very much in love with her husband and has to be alone for a weekend. And burglars come in to try and get something that her husband has brought home from Montreal. And it's a doll and it's got cocaine in it. Yeah. And he doesn't know that. He does not. She doesn't know that. No. So they're just, you know. She can't find the doll. Yeah. They have no, which is weird. They have no, oh wait, no, they do. Of course they explain the doll went. Yeah. Uh, Which man, what a turn on that character. Because in her first scene, I was like, I hope this bitch dies. And then (laughs) like, yeah, I know she's 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 16. (laughs) She's fair game in a slasher style movie. But okay, but her first scene, she straight up sucks. What is her first scene? I can't remember. Her first scene is when, or like her first major scene is when she delivers or she's coming to get the grocery list and the money. And then she, she grabs everything? something and then she grabs something out of the fridge. And Audrey Hepburn's like, Did you close the door? And she lies and says, Yes. 
And she's like, I don't think you did. And then she like, yeah, it just starts running around the apartment and fucking with her and throwing all her stuff around. It's like, oh, my God, I yeah, do not but like this kid. It's because um, it's Audrey Hepburn's husband who says, be kind to Gloria. She's starting to wear glasses now and everybody's calling her little monster. And then Audrey Hepburn's character says, oh, you little monster. And that's when she blows up. So I but can understand where she it's was, coming from. But she was being a little monster right up until that point. Well, it's because maybe it's not the glasses, Kim. Maybe it's because she's a little monster. It's because she lives in a sexist time, <laughs> 1967, and she's an adolescent woman who doesn't understand what's going on. And she's being made fun of for her appearance. I am happy that in the years <laughs> since we've solved sexism, just completely <laughs> eradicated it. Yeah. Well done, it everyone. It does not exist anymore. <laughs> well done, everyone. We did it. <laughs> Good job. I'm a bit self-conscious now as I'm wearing glasses because I'm like, hmm. Pat on the back. Are people going to call us little? We're both our glasses. Cheers to us. Yeah. We are phenomenal monsters. Yeah. I held out for a long time, but oof. What, you refused only... to get glasses? I don't know if I refused or just like, I don't know. But I knew, I remember for the longest time, it was clear I needed them. And everyone else knew because I would be sitting next to someone and being like, can I just like, look at, we were writing stuff off the board and I'd be like, can I just look at what you're writing? Cause I can't see it. Oh, and it's like pretty clear what the next step should have been. I just, just didn't do it. I was so excited when I knew I needed glasses. Cause Tina Fey had glasses and I was like, mm. I'm going to be just like Tina Fey. So I got glasses and I bought my first blazer. Nice. <laughs> Where's that right now? My first blazer? Well, well these we, aren't my first glasses. <laughs> well, yeah, but whereas any, if it was your first blazer, I assume you have many. You're I have, never I wearing have many. them. I know. Well, I'm at home and it's hot, so. I guess, yeah, we're, it's almost five months in, which means winter's almost done, folks. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> our half a year of winter is in the maybe final stages. I saw I did a weather network warning today. Was, oh, shit, snow's gonna come and kick off the march break but then i looked it up and it was two to four centimeters it's like we can handle that (laughs) we've had like record snow this year i think they said or like not record all time but one of those most snow in a long enough time to be impressed by this stat i do i was reading an article i just read the title and i'm ashamed to say that but it was anticipating that there's going to be higher levels of flooding because of all the snow oh i fully believe it i was out shoveling last weekend and the snow drifts make it is what makes it hard because you're hucking snow over like an eight foot there's no more room to put it on our front lawn it's just one giant eight foot pile of snow that i'm throwing more on top of see the city cleans the snow away where i am so it's just like oh they forgot about us bare sidewalks right now that must be nice yeah but these aren't problems for Audrey Hepburn, although no. it is winter time in this movie, which is just basically how they explain why it's dark most of the movie, because it gets dark early. That was a bit confusing to me because you do see a neighbor, which I kind of love. They set up that there's only three people who live in this in this apartment complex and he has a pair of skis and he's like, I'm going to Vermont to go skiing. And you look around and you're like, but it's spring where yeah. you are. Like, no, you're <laughs> Where's not. everything else? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's essentially the, the premise of the movie is these three um, Alan Arkin as wrote hires these two guys to to trick 
Audrey Hepburn into giving them this doll because they don't believe them when they say we don't know where it is. So mm-hmm. they're like, you know, oh, it's just this blind woman. This will be an easy, an easy couple of grand. But it's not, Kim. I like that, too, because you must imagine like there's people going in to watch this movie and thinking, yes, like this is going to be so easy for them to do. But then there's like these little lines where Audrey Hepburn's like, why are people cleaning? Why are people playing with the blinds? Like she's able to understand everything that's happening around her. And they just assume she's like a a stupid person who can't fathom that, that anybody would be doing anything around her. So I do like, I don't know. I do like how it's playing with the character's expectations ever, but it's also playing with, you know, some people in the cinema have those same expectations. Yeah. I, I, the moment you highlighted was one of my favorite, Oh shit moments because Mm. yeah, they go into this, you know, Oh, she's walking around bumping into chairs. Like she has no idea. And she is, she wasn't blind from birth. She's fairly newly. Do they give an actual timeline? She's fairly yeah, the timeline is uh, it happened a year ago. Yeah, she was in it or about just over a year ago. She was in some sort of accident and she's trying to cross the street as a blind woman. And that's when she meets her husband a year. They've been together for a year and they're already married, which was like really. I don't know. I don't want to say like this is a bad thing, but it kind of freaked me out because it seems like they have a lot of learning of who each person is <laughs> still. That's fair. You're right. This whole movie is bad. i just remember i was paying more attention to the dialogue this time around like i understood alan arkin had a plan um which always escaped me because i'm so infatuated by audrey hepburn her beauty is like it's glowing it's unfair it is unfair like (laughs) like she is i need to i clearly need to watch more audrey hepburn movies because i'm very lacking in her filmography but anytime Yes. Okay. Good. Anytime we bust out an Audrey Hepburn movie, it's like a four and a half to five star watch. Like Charade, that's a great movie. We watched yeah. Roman Holiday about a year ago. That's a <gasps> oh, great movie. I forgot about that one. I was obsessed with that movie with her haircut. Oh my God. Yes. It's so good. Wait until dark. It's so good. I just, I need to start filling in more of those. Oh, My Fair Lady, we watched a couple of years ago. I've never seen that one. That one is that one was a bit odd. I tried to watch it, but I couldn't do it. It was I, too not Audrey Hepburn for me. We liked it. Uh, I mean, obviously, she's a big reason why, and I do remember it being a little too long. But I do need to start. I, I mean, honestly, her filmography is not as like insane as I thought. She was on thirty-four movies. I think she just you know chose. Well, she just chose bangers. There's Sabrina and there's two for the road I've seen. And I think that's my Audrey Hepburn list of movies I've seen. I think the big one, I'm my biggest gap is probably Breakfast at Tiffany's, which I oh, only know because good. of the Mickey Rooney racism. But yeah, I was trying to explain to a friend too, who, who hasn't watched an Audrey Hepburn movie. I'm like, okay, start with Breakfast at Tiffany's. But then I remembered, oh my God, there's this horribly racist character who's part of the plot and the movie functions without him, so I kind of wish they make a newer version without him. Yeah, it does seem like as a society, we've all just generally agreed that that is a bit we need to deal with. You know, you just got to grit your teeth and get through that shit. And yeah. then everything else around it is super good. Well, it's so interesting for me because it's a movie, I, just like this movie too, there's like um, Breakfast at Tiffany's is just about a woman who's sleeping around and a dude who's sleeping around. And then they come 
together. <laughs> oh, see, I didn't even <laughs> Which know that. Seems much. a bit scandalous. Oh yeah, they're both like getting money for being with partners who request things from them. Like you don't explicitly see them having sex with other people, but there's some scenes that hint at it. Like the guy that she's supposed to fall in love with is naked in a bed <laughs> when his girl, when his older girlfriend gets up to leave and she crawls in through the window and they just had sex <laughs> because that's why he's with this older woman. Um, but this movie is about uh, drugs crime and there's like references to Gloria's mother like being a bit scandalous and her dad is up and left like these are all topics that for 1960s seem a bit controversial in some way I can't say for sure I wasn't there but I think <laughs> you're probably right yeah what was the explanation her dad basically ran off with another yeah. woman and yeah, he's out with somebody else and the mom is like, I don't know if she's gambling or she's away for the weekend doing stuff she shouldn't be doing is yeah. what they're insinuating. So most of the movie, obviously being based on a play, the movie is going to live or die by two things, script and the acting. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, I mean, you got your Audrey Hepburn, you got your Alan Arkin, and it's insane to me that he was ever young. Because I only I know. know him as 80-year-old <laughs> Alan Arkin. I was trying to figure out, because I, I remember falling in love with this movie, and I had already known who Alan Arkin was as an older man. So when I saw his name in the credits, I was like, holy shit, that's Alan Arkin. Because he also is, at least for me in this movie, quite good looking. You like, think he's, so? He's a cat. I think it's because he's so eccentric. Like, he's he's just he, got interesting he, ways of moving. He looks like he'd be <laughs> sticky. Oh yeah, no, that for sure. But he's got other, he's got like a cool haircut. It's the way that he Do talks. He does not. That oh, is oh, not yeah. a cool haircut. <laughs> and he talks the way that he talks. He's so calm. I don't know. He's a really calming presence. And I think I'm, a, I'm attracted to that. I can't give you that haircut. I cannot no. abide by that haircut. Only he could pull it off. Really? I, Anybody but else? That's not true because he didn't. Everybody right now. Pause and just Google Alan Arkin, wait until dark and then come back and email us at like this podcast at gmail.com and give us your thoughts on wait, Alan Arkin. You got to see the haircut in movement. Like, don't just look at a picture because obviously it's going to be bad. Look at the look at look at a clip of him and then and then come back and say he's not hot because I will not believe you. I didn't say he's not hot. I said I can't abide the haircut? by that haircut. It's just a bowl cut. <laughs> Is what that is. It's a bowl cut on acid. It's got weird. It's a bad yeah. to it. It's a bowl cut, but the bowl cutter <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. And like, whoops, the bowl was lopsided for the first half of the cut, but I fixed it. So the rest should look okay. But I don't know how to fix the first half. So okay, we're, I'm we're embarrassed. Go with this. I'm embarrassed for liking his hair, but it, you don't is... need to be embarrassed. <laughs> We could disagree on Alan Arkin's 1967 haircut. That's okay. Yeah. So he's really hot and Audrey Hepburn's really hot. And it's just a, it's a confusing time for everybody. And Richard Crenna is there. Is he the guy with the coat with the big ass collar? He's he Sam. looks like a dinosaur. Oh, that's Sam. No, that's the husband. 
No, wait, no, not the husband. Like the main, like the guy she becomes friends with. He's like, oh, right. a friend of your husband. What's that character's name? Mike. Um, ah, yes. That's Mike. Richard Crenna, a.k.a. Uh, like Rambo's colonel in the Rambo movies. Really? Oh, that's, I did not know that. But he comes in with the hugest collar on a coat I've ever seen. He's like the dinosaur in... Um, Oh, the one that the, kills Newman. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. A, a big part of my early watches of this movie was whenever he's introduced, he's wearing that collar and I cannot get beyond the, I think that's why so much of the plot was lost for me early so on. So the collar you can't get behind, but the haircut <laughs> you're like, mm, yum, yum. I I know what I like is what I, I'm getting You know at. what? That's good. You do. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I feel like I'm pointing out all the things that don't need to be pointed out in this movie because it is outrageously good. Yeah, I, there's a there's a good bit of business that Richard Crenna is doing where whenever he's like a lot of the movie is him and Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. And whenever because he comes in, he's posing as a friend of her husband and you know, is using that to kind of weasel his way in and get on her side before they start laying out the bigger picture stuff of. Like, oh, your husband's involved in with this other woman and we need to get this doll. Like he's just coming in to get her trust. And he's always, always in all of the scenes looking at her. So like he'll be referencing that he's doing something else. She'll be like, oh, is there someone outside at the window? And he'll go, hang on, let me check. And he'll open the blinds and be like, no, no, there's no one out there. But he never, ever breaks looking at her and what she's doing and how she's reacting you're so as he, right as he lays out all these like i'm gonna go take a look at this and he never actually does it's because he's really good bit. yeah because he's oh. watching to be like because he thinks that she's lying mm -hmm. and that she knows where the doll is so he's constantly like looking for signs of what does she know is she catching on is she like what's and to go all the way back to something you said before that i was going to comment on with my the, the oh shit moment is so there's him and then another guy who's posing as a cop mm -hmm. and, then and they alan, always work together yeah that's why alan arkin has come to them because you know they're right out of prison and he knows that they're really good at doing what they do talking to people getting information so he blackmails them into doing this job yeah uh and then alan arkin comes in and imposes as what was his whole thing? Like, oh my, because he comes in early in the movie as like this crazy guy and just like shouts a bunch of stuff and then leaves. And then he comes back later and he's like, that was my dad. And he thinks that this is a thing that's happening. And it's, what's your question? <laughs> I, my question was, I'm trying to remember what was, what was his story? Like, what was the Alan Arkin fake character story? Like it all connects back to. It was the, it was the Lisa woman who appears dead in the closet at yeah. the beginning and so she's the woman who's given Audrey Hepburn's husband the doll. Um, and Alan Arkin has killed her, but then they use it, use her to say, this is who your husband is having an affair with. Um, and then he well, comes in as a character to say, I was married to this woman. My father saw that she came here to this apartment to be with your husband when you weren't here. Like he's planting those seeds in, in her head. Aren't they using though earlier in the movie, because the husband like, Sorry, cough coming. I'm just going to mute. Cough, 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 cough. Cough, cough, cough. <laughs> the husband's staying late at like his studio because he's like, oh, I'm waiting for, I forget the woman's name. I'm waiting for this woman to show up. Yeah, Lisa. 
It's no, not, it's, no, it's um, not Lisa. It's Mrs. It's Mrs. Rote. Or no, it's Luciana. Yeah, which is the name, Luciana. like, because they're spying on them to get all this info that they can use. So they basically yeah. say, they start to lay out, like, oh, that's actually, like, who your husband's with over there. And they have this doll. And so all of this information they've already gathered is being used. And so they're in the apartment and they keep signaling to each other with the blinds. And the good, oh, shit moment is, like you said, when she goes how come they're always over there? Like, how come they're always dusting by the blinds and they're always like cleaning by the blinds and doing this. And it's the mm-hmm. first real moment where the burglar dudes go, Oh fuck. Yeah. And it's, it's the cleaning too, that I, I really like because re- rewatching this movie, it's kind of funny. Like I was giggling a little bit. So when the, the two criminals come into this apartment, they're touching everything because they think they're, they're looking for, or the girl lives here who they're after. And they're touching everything. And the guy who impersonates a cop, he really doesn't know how to act in this moment, like without it becoming big. So he's really just touching everything around him. <laughs> and it, it just makes me laugh because it's like his brain broke like minded at the beginning of this. And he was just like, I need to touch this, 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 this. And then when he panics, because Alan Arkin, that's how he blackmails, says, oh, there's a dead body in the closet. And now your fingerprints are all yeah. over the place. He just starts like going into this chaotic, hysterical moment of cleaning everything. And I, I did appreciate that performance. But the beginning with the touching everything was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, my favorite part in all of that is they get to what they think is the apartment of the woman with the drugs. And there's a sign that says, hey, I'm not in right now, but come on in and make yourself at home. Dude immediately grabs like a loaf of bread and a tray of meat and cheese from the fridge and just starts slapping together sandwiches. Like that's the boldest make yourself at home move I've ever seen. That and the fact that there's just a plate of sandwich items waiting in the fridge. Like there were three different kinds of meats and one type of cheese on there. And it looked delicious. It really did. I Every time I see it, I think, why don't I have this platter of sandwich items ready to go in this particular way? Yep. It looks, oh, it looks wonderful. But man, yeah. imagine, <laughs> imagine the sack you need to have to go to someone's house and they'd say, make yourself like, oh, I just need to get finished getting ready. Make yourself at home. And you just went straight to the fridge and grabbed a bunch of curated meats <laughs> and started making yourself a sandwich. I think the other wild thing about that also linked to the fridge is that when Gloria comes down to get the money and the list to do the groceries for Audrey Hepburn, it's $5. She's going to do $5 worth of groceries. And at the end, you kind of, or when she comes back, she has two big bags and it's just a different time. And it seems so wonderful in some ways. (laughs) It really does. Also, I said curated meats. I think I meant to say cured meats. Right? Is it I cured? Don't. I think a cured meat's like the preserved meat you just buy at like a store. Like sure. A I just I just call that sandwich meat. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. The, yeah, exactly. Sandwich <laughs> sandwich meat. No, sandwich cu- meat. Curating is what a museum does. Ah, I think you're correct. Not what sandwiches do. But this was museum-esque in how everything was curated. On That's the plate. true. It was a very <laughs> thank you. Good save. It was very well organized plate. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you said, it was no searching at all. He opened the fridge and went, God damn it. Perfect. All the sandwich material is right here. But you must, because he's so comfortable doing that, you must assume everybody's fridge has that plate ready to go. What a glorious time it must have been. Yeah. 
U.S. 1960s. Man, <laughs> there were probably other problems. Just but the best. <laughs> every fridge loaded with meat for sandwiches probably outbalanced all of the other stuff that might have been happening. <laughs> oh, yeah. My goodness. <laughs> I had another thought about cleaning well i mean that that's yeah like the sense of escalation is very very good like to go from because it's the whole it's the hitchcock thing i forget his exact quote which is basically you know you show the bomb and we know there's a bomb but the two characters in the scene don't know there's a bomb Mm. and that's the suspense so because we at the very beginning find out these are the bad guys this is their plan and this is what we're going to do there's so much suspense and just like girl, you're in danger. Like you're like the whole time I'm watching, you know, the two of them become like her kind of warming up to Mike is already like, Oh, and then just watching as they start to bring in, like by the end, it's all so hectic, like poor Audrey Hepburn. is just hysterical. Cause they're like everyone, you know, your husband's going to go to jail and this is happening and you need to do this. And it's, it's a very good progression of it events. Really and is. like you buy into, cause it's a fine line to walk for us to believe that she would be this trusting. Like at what point would she, would, you know, do you break that disbelief and go, there's no fucking way that she would be buying into this. She doesn't know these people. Like they do a really good job of like them having that pre-information, but that also the buildup is slow. So she doesn't even always have a lot of time to kind of mentally deal with what, is happening and process it is just happening like no you need to figure this out because your husband's in a lot of trouble and you could be in trouble too and we need to like yeah i was gonna say like it's a movie where you need a lot of patience but you don't even because there's no at least when i was watching it for like the hundredth and whatever time there's no moment that lags for me like every moment is so critical in terms of like they're only giving you the most important information in every scene like it's it's I don't know who wrote um the play and I don't know how if there were any like big changes transferring it to film but it is well written like there's so many little nuggets that you like a a trail of breadcrumbs that you have to be following and following in what every character is saying to to understand really what's happening and you have to be alert but it doesn't feel like work and it doesn't feel like like anything lags or is unnecessary yeah it's 110 minutes in almost a single room with often two or three people, but it moves. Well, what I really like about like going back to what you were saying, like the thing that is suspenseful right at the beginning is that there's a dead woman who you just saw seconds ago at the beginning. It's kind of like Scream, like the first Scream where they they introduce you to a character and you're like, they can't die. Like they seem to be like the, the big character and she's dead in seconds in hanging up in a closet in a yeah. bag and the way they shoot that and they the way they uncover that with this guy going in and like looking around casually thinking he's not in danger and then like the body's there oh my god <laughs> that, was, that good. was yeah that was good and the whole early bit where they're still in the apartment when i feel bad that i keep calling her audrey hepburn i should know her character's name they say it a lot you should yeah. definitely know you should definitely know it um, but I don't, so I will that's... get it in one second. It's Stacy or Samantha or Stevie or I love how I know Luciana. Susie. Okay, I was getting there. <laughs> Susie. 
I remember Luciana, somebody who we barely know. And they say their name like twice. Twice. And yet I cannot remember Audrey Hepburn. (laughs) Susie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where Susie gets home early and they're still in the apartment. So they all have to, you know, be whisper quiet. And she's rooting around in the closet with a dead woman hanging right next to her. And And she, she grabs a scarf, which I truly, truly love. So the the big thing too is that she's she as they put it in the movie she's in blind school so she has her apartment set up so she doesn't bump into anything and she knows where everything is and she grabs a scarf that she wants and she flings it around her neck while she's standing at the, at the closet and the end of the scarf just hits the dead woman's hair and it's just i don't know if that was improvised or intentional but that was so creepy to watch yeah <laughs> A, a suspense scene where you know the character can't be in any danger, but it's still suspenseful, can't be easy to pull off. Mm-hmm. So well done, because obviously nothing bad can happen. We're 20 minutes into the movie. Nothing bad can happen to her character yet. There's too much to go down, but it's still, you know, hold your breath like, holy shit. Yeah. There's a, like, don't, there's a dead woman right there. <laughs> and I, I do love how Alan Arkin keeps the information from them that Audrey Hepburn is blind. So when they're in her apartment at the beginning and she walks in, they must be shitting themselves. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty funny prank though, on his part. <laughs> she, I've also, you know, it's Audrey Hepburn. So obviously she's going to bring the thunder, but I think she found that really good balance too, of not playing a blind character. Like you can't see what yeah. I'm doing, but like, you know, over the top, like, okay, so I can't see. So I would always be feeling around like occasionally, like you can, you can see the, the slip ups of, you know, occasional, a bump into something, but she knows that like they're on her turf so that she knows all of that well enough. Like that's her domain, Kim. This is like home alone, but <laughs> not. Kind of. <laughs> Because she does kind of set up like the booby traps at the end. A little bit. Yeah. The the la- the back half, like when Gloria gets involved. So she kind of has to like. Because I don't like I said earlier, Gloria is kind of still fair game for something bad to happen to her. So there is that nervousness when she starts to get pulled in and is kind of acting as her eyes to, you know, what is actually going on outside? Because they keep telling her like they're outside her house the entire movie. Obviously, mm-hmm. she has no idea. So they're telling her like, oh, there's cops out there. The cops are coming. You got to, we got to find this doll. Where's the doll? The cops are here. And so when she pulls in Gloria to be like, no, there's not. And has her running around the apartment to, you know, or the the good bit of business where she gets out and kind of bangs on things to show like, I'm out. Yeah. I love how she is just having the best time. Like she doesn't understand that there's danger, which I think made me think that she was never going to be in danger. in this. Yeah. Her whole attitude is this is fun. This is is such a cool adventure. I wish stuff like this happened all the time. But uh, speaking of Gloria, so um, Susie sends her upstairs to watch the phone booth where these guys keep making the phone calls from. And she says, anybody who makes a phone call, I want you to call my place twice or let the phone ring twice. So I know that that phone call came from outside the house and i like how that's used as the reveal so the guy that she's been trusting the whole time who pretends to be the husband's friend she calls him and is just like hey i have the doll thinking that she's safe and he's doing the call from the phone booth and then she's like moseying around the house getting the doll and then the phone just rings twice it's like the biggest moment like imagine being that character like i think they they 
um, encompass that or encapsulated that really nicely. Like at that point, my stomach dropped the first time I saw that. Very, another very good, oh shit moment. And it's so simple, but so well constructed. A really, really effective way of communicating the plot twist versus, you know, I can't think of another. that's basically the end of the sentence like oh versus oh she overheard a conversation or she did like it allows her character to be resourceful and mm-hmm. figure out the situation but it's also just a really good visual slash audible auditory auto whatever the word is way of doing it versus gloria heard a conversation and he's the bad guy yeah it's not told to you it's it's shown to you and it's 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 just so it's so well constructed. I I don't think I can say that enough about this movie. <laughs> and then we get into the final eight minutes where the theaters lowered their lighting to the darkest legal limits. I like how that trailer too is like, if you are in the smoking section, we strongly encourage you not to light up at this moment. <laughs> what a you weird will ruin thing the effect. <laughs> to have had also the advertising for this movie gives away literally everything. Everything. That's what <laughs> every moment. At. The trailer, the poster, like with the artwork when we watched it, when it cut, when we, we finished the movie and looked at the front, it's like, this is literally like the final shot of the movie. It is. And it doesn't tell a story. Like we're so used to trailers telling a story and giving us little nuggets to like persuade us to go to the movie. I feel like if I watched the trailer for this movie without watching the movie, I would be like, what the fuck is this about? It's fascinating <laughs> that we have the the whole thing now is, oh, trailers give away the whole movie. Trailers give away the whole movie. In the 60s, they were straight up giving the away movie. the whole movie <laughs> with not even any need to. With modern trailers, you can kind of parcel out like, OK, well, if that scene's happening, then that means that this probably like you can with a little bit of thought watching a trailer probably piece in. There are some that just straight up like, ooh, what would the twist be? This comes to our movie. <laughs> like the in, that in, invitation movie last year where we were just stunned at how much the trailer gave away. Oh, no. Did you see or hear of that movie? I heard of it. I didn't see it. I I don't know if I want to. That's Let the me... one where she gets invited to a dinner party and everybody starts dying? Or is that something else? It could be that. Maybe I won't say too much more then because I was going to break down the how that trailer plays it all out where they were like, they basically say, ooh, what's going on? It's this, but what's going to happen? This. And we're like, what the fuck? Why would I ever go see that movie? Don't you want to know the twist? You don't need to wait. It's this. It's here it is. How will she deal with that twist? Like this. It's like, why? Why would you do that? But in, in this trailer for Wait Until Dark, they don't even, like, they just throw all the characters at you in that trailer doing, like, really quintessential, like, dramatic things, like, turning the head. Yeah. And you have no idea who these characters are if you're just watching the trailer. <laughs> Which is maybe the way to do it. Yeah, but they, I don't know. I i prefer, like, a slight narrative arc in my trailers. You could, in the 60s, though, you could sell a movie just by saying... Audrey, Audrey Hepburn's in this <laughs> yeah. and people would go that I'm going to see that movie. But Alan Arkin must have been because he he's a comedian, right? So he must have been a big name then too. Is he a comedian? I thought he was a comedian. Is he think, is he not a comedian? I think you're just saying things. <laughs> Can I make that up? <laughs> this was pretty early career, Alan Arkin, though. So I don't think he could pull I 
I think this knowledge is coming from a conversation I had once about wait until dark. And they're like, can you believe he's a comedian? And I was like, wow, that's quite interesting. Yeah. It's such a serious movie. Wait until dark was like his second or third major role by the looks of it. Mm. Second major role. According to this bit of IMDb trivia where someone asked him what, if he found it odd, he didn't get a lot of Oscar attention for his second role in wait until dark to which he responded. You don't get an Oscar for being mean to Audrey Hepburn. (laughs) He's funny. He's a comedian. That is pretty good, but I don't think he's a comedian. Uh, and the comedic play Lou. So he's, yeah, I don't know what that means. He's yeah. starred in a lot of stuff. Enter laughing. Being in comedies love. doesn't make you a comedian. Yeah, it does. Jennifer Lawrence has a comedy coming out because the trailer That's came out true. yesterday. I watched it. Yeah. I think that it looks pretty funny. No one else seems to think that, but I do. And it looks like a movie that should have come out in 2001 after American pie made a ton of money and everyone else went, I want in on that. I want a yeah. slice of that pie too. Cause it's the name of the movie, but also cause money. And that that's the kind of movie that would have opened in late April, 2001. And I just like that. Jennifer Lawrence looks to be having fun. I did. Yeah. She that, gets to do that, that was... very often. I guess don't look up kind of, but. His comedic skills were particularly admired. He's comedic, a comedian. <laughs> John Cena has comedic skills. John Cena is not a comedian. Oh, I think we're opening. We're we're veering in a direction we don't want to go. <laughs> well, I, I feel yeah. I feel like we have we've. I kind of have said everything about the movie that I want to say. I don't know if I want to necessarily spoil the final stretch, other than saying it is a very good showdown in the final ten minutes. It's a really good showdown between Alan Arkin and Audrey Hepburn, but it's the fact that they take out all the lights and they just do this wonderful thing with the matches because there's also gasoline involved where she dumps it or Alan Arkin dumps it and then she dumps it on him. And it's just like the shots of her lighting those matches in desperation. Oh my God, was that good acting. Yeah, Really good performance and just really good back and forth thing of who has the upper hand at any given time. Yeah. Like the, but it's, 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 it's very wild. Yeah. It's very satisfying to see his character, like, cause he's so cool and calm and composed the whole movie. But then when he's covered in gasoline and having a match waved at him, it's fun to see like actual concern <laughs> start to come out. Yeah, he he crumbles, which you yeah. see a little bit at the beginning when uh, the guy he's talking to is like, well, why can't I go in the locked closet? And he's trying to keep that information from him. Like you see that he can be easily unraveled. And then it's Audrey Hepburn, who, of course, unravels him. But you could think that ending can be so boring because it's just the lights are out yeah. <laughs> at home. <laughs> But they have, and it's again, it's the cues, it's the rhythm of the sounds, it's, there's very little dialogue, but you're totally afraid that, I think I'm mostly afraid Audrey Hepburn is going to die, and I don't want to be in a world where, I mean, I am in that world, but I don't want to be in a world where she's murdered. Yeah, and it seems, even at that point in the movie, that she's not completely safe. Like, do you still... There's just enough of a hint of danger to go, this still seems like a movie that might have a darker ending. Yeah, I wonder if there was an alternate ending where bad things happened to her. I hope not. I mean, it'd be pretty easy to release and a, a, a cut where things don't pan out great, but 
I think it would be against the censorship, though, because the the end of that movie is, I guess, this unit of a family, of a good, wholesome family kind of coming together. It's like Audrey Hepburn, who's now the surrogate mother of Gloria, and then Sam, and they're just like, we love each other. And I feel like they had to do that for the censors. Because that ending, like the very, very part of the ending, after the scariness, the resolution part, made me nauseous a little bit. Where... <laughs> Because the husband rushes in, there's dead bodies peppered throughout the apartment. Yep. He doesn't know where his wife is. And then finally sees her tucked behind the fridge. And then he goes, it's me. Walk towards me. It's like, your wife is traumatized. <laughs> yeah. Run up to her. Come, make sure come here. Fine. It's me. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> That's exactly what he's doing. So I did not like the relationship part. Of this movie but i liked everything else yeah thankfully the relationship part is like the husband is in the end in like one other scene yeah telling her He's, what to do <laughs> yeah telling her she's a good blind woman yeah you're very good at being blind well done and no you're going to do this thing do not <laughs> let gloria do it you will learn how to do it <laughs> tiny voice. <laughs> that's very good <laughs> You need to, we need to de, what is the, we need to defrost the the icebox and none of that bullshit you've been doing with it. You do it this new wave modern refrigerator stuff. You unplug it the old fashioned way. I have to go to the (laughs) vacuum cleaner store to sell vacuums because that's every job in the sixties. I, it, it is painful at the beginning where she's like, do you have to go away? And he's like, yes, yes, I do. Just walks out. I need to be. I need to go to the man company to make man money. I am manly by being a man here. You will stay home and get whatever the '60s problem is of having to defrost the ice box. But imagine how, because obviously that mentality is still happening at that time. Imagine how satisfying it was for women to see this Audrey Hepburn character take out three male characters. Well, technically. I mean, two, but no. by extension. Oh, no, she doesn't even kill the other guy. No. She kills one guy. She kills the, the she kills the main guy. That's what matters. And he killed the other yeah. two. I like how we said we weren't going to. I don't know if I necessarily <laughs> want to spoil the ending. There's literally nothing left to spoil. But I mean, if you watch the trailer, it's all spoiled. But you that's ha- true. The, the, the goodness of this movie doesn't come from knowing what's going to happen. It comes from being there and experiencing how they portray everything to you. Yeah. And we can't replicate that here. Even with our old timey voices, we can't do that. You have to go watch the movie. Yeah. We've come damn close, but it's not quite the same. <laughs> mm. I think that's wait until dark. That is. Do you know when Batman came out as a cartoon? Was it in the sometime in the 60s? Because they referenced well, there Batman was, twice. Well, the Adam West. Like live action show was in the 60s. Oh, that, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Was that around was, the same time? I think it would have been, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Because the two Batman references seem really, really forced. I don't even remember what they were now. Uh, Audrey Hepburn knocks on the, the photography room of her husband and he's like, Susie, is that you? And he, she goes, no, it's Batman. <laughs> that's not funny. I'm trying to sell vacuum cleaners. <laughs> and then the other one, is um, those two friends who Alan Arkin hires. It's towards the end. One guy comes up to the other one. They've just gone to see that the doll isn't where Audrey Hepburn said it was. And he turns to his friend and goes, okay, Batman. 
Let's see. When did that Batman series <laughs> air? 1966. So, yep, it would have okay. been like in its in its first like super popular years. So, yeah, I guess. So they were making pop culture references. In yeah, this exactly. Iconic movie. This was this was this is basically Family Guy. <laughs> uh, something you're currently enjoying? Oh my god! I it's Cocaine Bear. I went to see it <laughs> oh, over the yeah. weekend, and I. I like the whole week has been a downer because I started it with cocaine bear and then just nothing ever lived up to that experience. Oh my God. It was incredible. Elizabeth Banks is my hero and everybody should go out and just give this movie money. I don't disagree with that second part. You definitely, I think got a little bit more out of it than I did. I uh, did. <laughs> I, I liked it. I, I wish that, um, there's the uh, well, again we won't actually spoil stuff because this is a new movie but there's a scene involving an ambulance and the people in the ambulance i that adore whole that sequence movie. is so good mm-hmm. but i found that like that was the kind of energy i wanted the whole movie to have and it just didn't quite sustain it so it has these like bursts and the cast is clearly having a wonderful time and there's some really funny stuff in there and whenever the energy levels are up and like that whole sequence is glorious i just found a lot of it was like do i really care about felicity walking around trying to find her kid i don't necessarily know that i do but it also didn't help so i had two dudes sitting next to me see this is what ruined it for you i think it it, (laughs) i think it did and they decided Oh, we're going to be funny, too. Oh, my God. No, those people should automatically the seat should just engulf them and they go into a detention room for that. Yeah. And they have to stay there for two hours, depending on how egregious their theater crimes were of the movie you're watching. So in this case, the bear would. Oh, shit. (laughs) They wouldn't have stood a chance. But here's the problem. They had basically one joke. Anytime a character would appear on screen, they'd go, oh, is that the cocaine bear? That was their first joke. And the second joke, which was basically just the same as the other joke, they would just also sometimes occasionally ask, oh, is that person on cocaine? So it's basically the same joke. And by joke, I mean not at all a joke, but they seem to think it was the funniest thing. And also they played the trailer for Scream 6, and one of them no less than six times said, I just kicked the shit out of him. I, I just took the shit out of him. I don't know that's, if he was. That's just the beginning to get of the trailer, though, where this macho guy's like, "You want something, buddy?" And he yeah. just gets stabbed. <laughs> well, apparently, this scrawny fucker sitting next to me would have taken care of the situation. <laughs> of course, he would have. It's like, oh my god, dude! And like, it got a little better as the movie went on, and also, you know, the movie was loud enough that I I didn't really notice as much, but. See, I all of the components for a great movie came together. I was with a really great person who was there to like enjoy their time. And the audience, they were well behaved. Nobody took their phone out. Everybody seemed to have like the tiniest little bit of knowledge about cocaine. So all of the jokes really hit in a fabulous way. And it was just like the movie was was strong, but the whole experience was even stronger. Let me give you an opposite example too because last night i went to the scream six fan event mostly just because it was my one chance to see it before next weekend i was like i'm too terrified of it being spoiled so i'm going to the fan event 
with exclusive content. It was all shit. But uh, two teams sat next to me at Scream 6. No. But when they sat down, they had a whole bunch of snacks and they started dividing things up like, okay, you get these, I'll get these, take half of these. And the reason they were doing it was so they didn't have to talk to each other during the movie. They even said that. They were like, okay, let's figure this out so we don't have to talk to each other during the movie. And I was like, yes, that's the kind of crowd I want. I mean, I can appreciate that, but I feel like there's got to be, there's always like a few good comments I appreciate. But but there's a difference (laughs) between someone twice during a two hour movie saying something to their friend under their breath versus, oh, is that cocaine bear? 17 fucking times in the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah, I like, think that would have ruined the experience. I think me. I think I need to see it again because I was just pissed off. And even I'll go when with I... you when you want to go when you pray. <laughs> I am addicted to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Not unlike the titular substance. Um, I guess my thing I'm currently enjoying was I've been to the theater a lot lately, so I saw Cocaine Bear. I liked it. I saw Creed three. With my parents, which is great. That's out right now. That's out. Oh my god! Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like, my dad loves those movies, and they haven't been to the movies since Top Gun. So I was like, "You want to see Creed?" And he's like, "Yeah, I want to see Creed." So he came up for that, and then I saw Scream Six last night, and it's pretty fascinating that technically Creed Three is Rocky Nine, and <laughs> Scream Six, and yet, like, they're still getting it done, like. They aren't just retreading like, okay, well, we kind of know what we're doing. So hit these points and we'll call it a day. Like there's still, there's still effort being put forward because, you know, you can get cynical and go, it's the sixth scream. It's going to fucking make money. It doesn't matter. It felt a little rushed out because the last one made money, but kudos to them. They came up with some fun set pieces and it's a good time. I'm excited to, to see it. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a good one. I don't know what my official sequel ranking is. Maybe one day a podcast that I have about that will we'll get to the bottom of it. But <laughs> it's it is a good one. Actually, I think I liked it more than the one that came out last year. So oh, oh, that's okay. That's and, that's a big statement. And your 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 girl Courtney Cox is very good in this one. I'm afraid. Um because of what happens in the trailer, I'm afraid of. Yeah, obviously, I'm not going to say anything, but she. I don't want you to. She's got I'm... some good moments in this movie. Okay. Yeah, she's hot. She is so hot in the screen movies. Like, I melt. And <laughs> one last thing about Scream that's not spoilery is I thought this one, like, meta humor is not always my favorite thing. And obviously, Scream is all about, you know, referencing itself and getting kind of. Um, like one of the worst moments in cinema for me in the last 10 years. Did you see Bohemian Rhapsody? I think I did. Yeah. So yeah. No, I did. When the character Mike Myers is playing, looks basically directly in the camera and says, no one's going to ever bang their head to Bohemian Rhapsody. But we know that he did because he was in ways. It just made me want to die because I find that kind of stuff just lazy. I never understand those moments. So, of course, I had no reaction. But my partner who I was with was like, you get it? I was like, yeah. no, no, I do not. It's just, <laughs> and you can do that stuff well, but like that's, it's just, you know, it's the most obvious thing you could ever do. 
So I found the, the Scream, Scream 5, technically, just got a little tore up its own ass with that stuff. And I thought Scream mm. 6 did a better job. I'm so jazzed to hear it. I uh, I was listening to Jenna Ortega on um, Dak Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert. And I don't think I ever fully listened to her do an interview, but she just seems so delightful. So Yeah, her Hot Ones episode is super good. Yeah, you sent that to me. I watched part of it. I watched the full Pedro Pascal one you sent me and I endured it. <laughs> yeah, I guess another shout out. Uh, hot Ones is on a hell of a, I guess I don't want to say hot streak, but I have to. Hot Ones <laughs> is on a hell of a streak right now with their guests. Like Jenna Ortega did it. Kate Blanchett did it. Pedro Pascal did it this week. Like just knocking out. And they're out. all oh, solid episodes. They're all dude. so good. And like <laughs> the host, Sean Evans, he's... He's so good at it. And it's especially fun because Pedro Pascal lately, all the there's these awful clips making the rounds where they're like, oh, did you know that people on the Internet call you daddy? And do you want to think there's these tweets where they lusted? Do you want to read some of these tweets? And he's like, no. So it's nice to see an interview where it's like, do you want to just sit and talk about your work like a goddamn adult? And they always just seem to appreciate that, like that they're not going to have to, you know, and it's not going to be the most surface level like so what's it like to play wednesday the questions and... are really like you have to be paying attention to answer that question like they're i don't want to say they're academic but they're not like the types of fluffy questions you would hear on like et or something not yeah. to, like trash that but it's, yeah. it's a very different style of questioning that yeah I admire. it's not the kind of questions that you can tell they probably have answered 30 to 40 times and they'll acknowledge yeah. that too where yeah. It's like, so Paul Rudd, you got a new Ant-Man coming out. Tell us about it. Well, <laughs> what's it like to work with Catwoman herself, Michelle? Fire? Like, no, is that a so, question he's getting? I mean, I, I mean, like I'm, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> so it's fun to see them actually get questions to go like, you are the first person who has ever asked me that question. And they're so like excited to answer it. They are really excited. I feel like Paul Rudd, he's always asked about his youthful appearance and even I'm getting sick of it. So he must be getting like horribly sick of it because he hears it more than I do. I would imagine. Well, let's wait until dark. Let's wait until dark. <laughs> Thank you, Kim, for joining me here today. Um, I don't, I don't want to say for sure what's next. It's one of a couple things. I realized episode 250 actually isn't that far away. No. I need to start thinking about that. Because I think this is episode 239. Oh my God, you're so close. I'm really close. So yeah, think about what you're going to do. I was so happy when 200 was done. Because like, don't have to think about that again for almost a year. <laughs> Somehow. Here we are. Um, so yeah, I guess look forward to that. Uh, Goodwill's Hunting still out there getting it done. Flipping through franchises, season five. I think I'm gonna say with some confidence will be the Wrong Turn movies because they made seven of those things. What is a Wrong Turn movie? A Wrong Turn movie, Kim, is basically <laughs> uh, cannibals in the woods. Nope, Red, redneck nope. cannibals in the woods. Nope, I eat, can't. No, killing and eating teenagers, and mm -mm. sometimes well, the teenagers no. <laughs> go, "You're not gonna eat me." Stab. So I've only ever seen the first two. How do you make seven of them? Let's find out. I truly do not want to know. I feel like this would be a movie I would, I would definitely throw up in. 
And they all have like wrong turn, wrong turn two, dead end, wrong turn three, the GPS fucked up, wrong turn four, we need a map, all kinds of subtitles like that. I made up two of those, dead end is real. <laughs> uh, so look forward to that in fucking who knows. It took us like six months to get through seven paranormal activity movies. So just look forward to that in summer, maybe. <laughs> Perfect time, though. Camping, you can put it on around the fire and be like, oh, fuck, what if there's cannibals in these woods? And there probably are. And uh, with that, Kim's going to take a set with a classic quote from Wait Until Dark. This is this is my Alan Arkin impression. So imagine that I have like a super hot haircut (laughs) as I say this. I I can't because that would be a different movie. (laughs) I cannot negotiate in an atmosphere of mistrust. It's a good Alan Arkin. Thank well you. done. It's the haircut. Yeah.